champion of the Far Post podcast. My name is Marissa Lordanik and we're back for one of the final episodes of 2021 because, or at least for the 2021 dub season, but we're so stoked that you've jumped back with us to chat some more women's football. It's been an enormous week and we're back to talk some more football because that's what we do every single week. So we've got me, Angela Christian-Wilkes, Anna Harrington and Sam Lewis. And we're going to kickstart things off as we usually do with some You Love to See It. So Angela, kick us off. What did you love to see this weekend? I love to see West Ham not losing. And not only not losing, they won. And not only did they win, they won 5-0. And not only did they win 5-0, they scored all of those goals in the first half. So it was very exciting. Yeah, very good times. Um, and, yeah, so they won 5-0 over Reading. was a big must-win game for them, um, and it sees them sort of come out of the relegation zone at the bottom of the FAWSL table. Um, not only that, there was the first opening goal, which I think really set up the momentum for the game, came from Kenza Dali, and it was – oh. It's mint, lovely. Just like she pings it from the out, way out on the right-hand side. It just floats in beautifully. Um, and my other favourite goal, I think, was Martha Thomas's third one, which was some lovely passing play, sort of the opposite kind of thing. Um, looked like they were doing like cross-stitch across the field. Beautiful stuff. you love to see it. Very happy West Ham fan here. Incredibly happy West Ham fan. And it reflects in your, your choice of attire for this week's podcast. Oh, yes. Sam, what did you love to see this weekend? This weekend, I loved to see a similar goal that was scored by Ali Green in Sydney FC's win over Canberra United. It was her debut W League goal and what a way to do it. I just loved the audacity of picking up the ball, having intercepted it after Canberra were on a breakaway, charging through midfield, getting about, you know, 30, 35 yards out from goal and going, you know what, I'll just like, have a go and see. And she unleashed this absolute rocket into the top left bin and it sealed Sydney's 3-0 win. Her celebrations were fantastic. She ran over to Ante Juric afterwards and, like, you could see the way that their team, that her teammates were sort of celebrated around her as well. She's such a crucial part of the Sydney FC side. She plays with so much heart, so much spirit. And it was, yeah, it was just fabulous to see. So Ali Green scoring her goal, love to see it. If you're going to seal a semi-final win, you might as well do it like that because it was sensational. Harry, what did you love to see this weekend? I love to see Lisa Devanna getting back to her electrifying best um, to lead Melbourne victory to their massive semi-final win over Brisbane Raw. Um, First goal was great where Melina Ayers just sort of rolls over a defender. They all get sucked in and leave the most dangerous player on the ground in Lisa Devanna at the back, who just absolutely rifles at home on her left. Um, Belter of a goal. But no, no, no. She couldn't just leave it there. She had to one-up herself, and she did just that later in the game when I think it was still really on, on the line, and she's pinched the ball off to Mickey Yallop. So, you know, not just any player. She's pinched it off Brisbane's best player, charged forward, and you get this perfect angle of the camera being behind it. Just goes bang top corner near post had to it was a matter of inches had to hit exactly the right spot so Georgie Worth couldn't save it and she picked it out beautifully um Lisa Devanna as I said back to her best in a in a massive final helping to put Melbourne victory through to their first grand final since her last stint at the club you love to see it you so love to see it and kind of sub 
you love to see it sort of thing. The uh, little poster on the sideline that had Lisa Devanna's face photoshopped onto a goat. You love to see that. And it was confirmed that it was her because there was a photo on her Instagram story of her holding up this poster of her face on a goat's body. So we will find that and we will post it because it was absolutely brilliant. You love to see it. But we'll stick with this game that Lisa Devanna scored in. It was the first of the semifinals in the W League. As we mentioned, Melbourne Victory won 6-2 over Brisbane Raw. It was it was a very dub game. It was a very chaotic game. There was a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack. So we'll do that right now. Angela, I'll start with you. What was your, I suppose, what was the biggest takeaway for you from this game? Uh, Melbourne victory score good. <laughs> Very nice. But yes, um, I think um, Anna spoke about a couple of the goals there and I think it just speaks to the um, the danger in this um, victory attack that we've had this season and they've really come to fruition at the right time here. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I was just having a great time at the pub, so can't say I absorbed too much. I was just... I don't know. As a victory fan, I came into the semi-final with my hopes not up just because of previous heartbreak. And so, yeah, just really happy to have seen that sort of result. But it was a spicy one and we will get into sort of the intricacies around that and the the refing and that sort of thing. But um, I think before we get into the actual spicy content around refereeing decisions, penalty shouts, that sort of thing, I think it's worth mentioning that Melbourne Victory, like, came out with so much intent. Like, they bossed it from the get-go. Like, could have put away some early chances. Um, um, we'll, we'll mention that to make a yell-up chance. They, that would have been against the run of play. But for so much of that match, they looked untouchable, especially in attack. It really underlined um, how much Brisbane missed Claire Polkinghorn. Um, obviously, they missed Emily Gionic going the other way. But some of the defending, like I mentioned, the Devanna goal before, and also the Catherine Zimmerman goal where Kyra Cooney-Cross sort of rolls a defender and puts it out to Zimmerman. Do those things happen if Claire Polkinghorn's marshalling the defence? I think it's far less likely. Like They took full advantage. Um, they just look so good when they attack. And I think Catherine Zimmerman adds so much. Um, we were talking to Claire Wheeler and she mentioned that they miss, that Victory didn't have Zimmerman, I think, in that that Premier's Plate deciding game they played. And I think she adds such a different dimension to their attack. She um, can play out, play out wide, which is where they tend to use her, but she can actually play as a more traditional number nine as well and can score goals for pretty much anywhere. So they just have so much versatility with that front three of... Zimmerman, Devanna and Melina Reyes has had such a fantastic season. We called for it at the start of the year that she needed to not just be the player that scored worldies, she needed to be the player that scored consistently and when victory needed it. And she stepped up with a hat-trick. Kyra Cooney-Cross has been influential. I, I just thought this was one of those games where I know I, if you look at different moments, maybe some things come, could have gone Brisbane's way, but you still don't score six goals without turning in a hell of a performance. So we will get into some of that spicier stuff, I guess, but I just thought it was worth really recognising how good victory were before we, I guess, jump headfirst into controversy and ref chat. Yeah, bouncing off that, Harrow, in terms of, you know, the, the lessons learned, I wrote about this to my Guardian column this week, and that is that victory have never been solely reliant on a single goal scorer. They've always spread that responsibility among a number of different attackers, and so have Sydney FC. 
And this, these semi-final games were, I think, the best illustration of the um, the damage that that kind of thing can cause if you go the other way. If you rely solely on a single striker and your system is built around that single striker, when they're not there, all of a sudden things start to fall apart. And that's not to say that Brisbane didn't have other goal scorers or other potential goal scorers. To make Yelp obviously got on the score sheet. Um, and then Mariel Hecker had just like a billion goals called back for offsides and things like that. So it's not like they didn't have uh, more dimension in their attack. And we've spoken about how they did have dimension in their attack in previous episodes. But since they brought Gilnick into that number nine role and she really secured that, I feel like Brisbane's entire system and almost their entire style started to revolve around her and her being in red hot form and being able to finish those kinds of chances. And then all of a sudden, if she's not there, you've got someone like Larissa Cromo who comes into the number nine role, who has played number nine before, but hasn't done it in a very, very long time. And she tried, she tried her best. She made her runs. She tried to fill in, in those, those uh, kinds of moments and particularly physical moments that an Emily Gilnick would be really necessary for, but she just wasn't really able to do it. Whereas Melbourne Victory, because they already were so much about this front three slash front four, if you consider Kyra Cooney Cross to be a number 10 or like a false nine even, they they never suffered. They Like you lost to Catherine Zimmerman at one point in the season, but there were other players around her who were able to pick up the attacking slack. And so now that she's back, it's even more terrifying. And it's a very similar thing to Sydney and, and Canberra, but we'll come to that a little bit later. Well, Sam, it's interesting. We were talking about this, obviously the result with some of our friends and it's come up that Natasha Dowie was the face of Melbourne victory for all those years, you know, she's golden boot winner, leading goal scorer, the dominant presence in that Melbourne victory team. And we flagged it earlier in the season that victory just looked as good a player as Natasha Dowie is and as influential as she was. By last season, it was getting pretty predictable because when you've got a domineering sort of presence in your forward line, like someone that, you know, has such a great goal scoring record and especially the style of play that player that Dowie was, you're always going to look for them. You're always going to try and involve them in any sort of play. They're always going to be, you know, front and centre. That's totally different this year for Victory. Like, they aren't reliant on one goal scorer. They're not playing like a traditional back-to-goal number nine or anything like that. They've got this front three that's just electric. And as you mentioned, Sam, Kyra Cooney-Cross knows how to score. Annalie Longo is a bit of an underrated goal scorer. We've not seen it so much this season, but Amy Jackson can pop up and... They've also got a little bit of joy out of their centre-backs popping up at the right time for headed goals as well. I think Morrison has maybe won and Bunge has definitely scored a couple this season. So they've got a really multi-dimensional attack and that's what's super exciting about them. And you can't blame Brisbane for, I guess, I guess struggling to contain that because it's unpredictable enough. And then when you have Lisa Devanna, who is unpredictable as a player, like she, you know she might take you on, but you don't know what she's going to do with the ball. Um it just makes it even more difficult. It's uh, especially, and the other thing that they really deserve credit for is what's their third game in like eight days. Like, and one of those games was on artificial turf midweek and was, it would have been a mentally challenging game with a premier's played on the line. And this one was in the pouring rain and players like Lisa Devanna played most of the match. So it's a real credit to them and what they were able to do. 
And sort of addressing the defensive issues as well, like losing Emily Gjornik is one thing, but I think of all the players uh, that Brisbane Raw really desperately missed, it was Polkinghorne because we saw what happened. We saw the domino effect. We saw it happen at the 2019 Women's World Cup when the Matildas missed Polkinghorne after she was injured. We saw how that affected the rest of the side. And when it came to the players that Jake Goodchip had to rely upon to fill that void, you had tiny little Winona Heatley brought into centre back alongside Kim Carroll. And, you know, she could blow it away in a stiff breeze, Winona Heatley. Like she was fantastic on as a, as a fullback, as a right back, she's, but she's still only so young. And this is probably one of the first times she's ever played in a more central defensive position at this level. Um, and then alongside her, you had Caitlin Torpy, who as well is quite young, quite small, not particularly physical and the person that you have running at the both of them because they were both on the left side depending on the way you look at the left or the right side of the field was Lisa Devanna you know she ran absolute rings around the two of them because they were very young they hadn't played together in that kind of way before so I'm not really surprised that a lot of the a lot of the goals came from that side of the field because Heatley and Torpy were completely outmatched um, and you know that's that's what happens sometimes, and hopefully it's a it's a lesson that can be learned by Brisbane going forward. Um, and also, we'll talk about it when it comes to Canberra going forward as well. Like you can't, it's fantastic to have players of this caliber, of Polkinghorne's caliber, of Gilnick's, of Heyman's caliber, but you can't rely solely on them to the detriment of bringing through other players because all of a sudden, if you have a, a big player like that, that goes down injured, that leaves, you need to make sure you've got players who are ready to step up and take over those responsibilities. Otherwise, you could see your team concede six goals. I guess it's a fine balance um, to strike as well because someone like uh, Claire Polkinghorne would have so much to teach Um in a league that is going to, I, I assume, moving forward, focus on younger players and focus on focus on development. But yeah, it, it, it is that case of you want to make sure that the players are getting ample opportunity to develop like in those big moments rather than just like in the team environment. And yeah, unfortunately for Heatley, I think the sort of decision-making and the mindset for a final would be such a huge jump. It's a big baptism by fire. So feel a lot for, for her and Brisbane's defence in that regard. Um, but, yeah, as, as Anna mentioned, victory wasted no time in exploiting that. And the only thing I wanted to add was I, I really like how Melina is, like, just going back to that. Um, so one of the goals came from her just like seeing an opportunity and pouncing and she's really worked on that part of her game and she scored a goal like that um the the Perth victory game or the victory Perth game sorry um a few weeks ago in the last round of the season she did the same thing and yeah it's just it's great to see it was pretty much the exact same goal the goalie spilt it and then she just boom appears and just taps it in so I do love that and yeah, probably save all the Melina, well, more Melina airs gushing for the the end of season review pod because I could go on. She's had a, a fantastic season. Um, Sam, I'm really keen to hear your take on the refereeing situation and some of the contentious calls. I'll, I'll kick us off. Tamiki Allop scores a goal early on against the run of play. Looks like 
it's gone over the line. My colleague, Ed Jackson, who was there at the ground for AAP, says it's gone over the line. Looks like it's bounced behind Gabby Garten before she's cleared it. So there's the first one. Looks like Brisbane had a clear goal denied. But it kind of just kept going in terms of these decisions. Um, and clearly Brisbane weren't wrapped about it. How did you see the whole situation? I mean, I feel bad for Meeks because I'm pretty sure she had a very similar goal disallowed earlier in the season where it bounced behind the line and then bounced out and it wasn't called. And it's you have to sort of wonder what was going on uh, on the goal line because there was a, a, an extra referee that was placed on either end of the field specifically to you know, cover for the fact that we don't have any goal line technology. And if they missed it, and it was like, it seemed pretty clear on the broadcast, I don't know about you guys, but it seemed pretty clear on the broadcast in the slow motion replays that it, it spun over the line. So I don't really know what the what the goal line referee was, was looking at. Um, but the, you know, good ship, um, he was quite vocal across the entirety of the game that it, it sort of started there. It started in that sort of 10th minute, opportunity that that Tamika had and was disallowed um it extended to the awarding of a, a, a free kick for Catherine Zimmerman who seemed to just slip over she wasn't really pushed or tripped or anything she just sort of slid in the grass and then that free kick led to one of the goals um that that I can take a leave because I think in the replay from where Lara Lee was standing as the center ref you could sort of see Zimmerman maybe coming into contact with another player but the the thing that really concerned me and that I think concerned a lot of people was the penalty that was awarded um, for the what seemed to be a foul by Georgie Worth as she was coming out to uh, to clear the ball from a corner or across you know goalkeepers are protected players on the field and I can't count the number of times I've seen a goalkeeper do exactly what she did which is come out with both fists punch the ball away and then collect a player as she's moving through just based on her momentum. But I have never, ever seen a goalkeeper be uh, penalised for that. And she got a yellow card for it as well, which I thought was quite extraordinary. So, yeah, I, I had sort of some, some concerns about that. And I'm curious about whether or not the momentum of the game would have swung differently had those decisions been made differently as well. Um, I get the feeling perhaps that it would have been a much closer game, a much tighter game in terms of the scoreline had some of those refereeing decisions not been made the way that they were. Well, clearly the, the Tamiki Yallop one and the penalty, the two standouts to me. The Zim one I'm with you, Sam, I could take or leave because that free kick wasn't the reason Kyra Cooney-Cross was able to barrel her way past defenders and lay the ball off for Catherine Zimmerman like that, that is not related like the ball's bounced out and yeah yeah you might you know these free kicks happen but I, I don't it's not like a set piece where it's been headed in at the back post you know like take a leave had the chance to clear that ball anyway um, it was interesting you mentioned there was a couple of offside calls that the Raw weren't too happy with as well but it was interesting Olivia Chance spoke to the media after the after the match um, she obviously scored a belter of a goal earlier in the game she did get asked about the refereeing um, and she obviously was pretty diplomatic um, but she mentioned those little mistakes do add up then unfortunately all seem to be falling on our side those mistakes what do you do it's a football game we don't have uh, and I wouldn't want that either so it's which of the two evils really so I guess the main thing is you want to see top quality refereeing and better decision-making overall. The other thing that was really interesting was the talk about um, 
Jake Goodship's reaction. Um, he actually, on Twitter, I saw post-match came out and apologised for, I guess, his conduct because he was very fired up on the bench the whole time. So Goodship and at least a couple of his assistants got booked um, during that game. In fact, when that sort of dodgy penalty happened, Molina Reyes just put the ball in the back of the net, but the ref was actually busy booking Goodship, I think, at the time. This got called back and probably a bit of poetic justice that she's ended up putting the penalty over the bar, given we've said it clearly wasn't one. But yeah, it was quite interesting because he was very animated and frustrated all game. And I feel like it's something that maybe you wouldn't see with a super, super experienced coach like a, a Jeff Hopkins, maybe, or an Ante Juric. Um, so he actually, yeah, I saw on Twitter apologise for, I guess, his sort of outburst post-match because he's described the penalty as a disgrace and said the, the refereeing effectively ruined the game. So he was very fired up throughout the game and after. And I think our post-match sort of went, oh, maybe I should have called my Jets a bit during the game, which I think is a, a pretty fair comment because it was, um, yeah, it was, he looked very unsettled on the bench throughout. And I, I wonder how that would have affected the players too. I do feel for like, the fact that he got interviewed after the game, he's clearly in a very emotional place. His like team have just lost a semi-final. Very like anyone could see it was an incredibly heated game and just, yeah, have a mic stuck in your face. You probably aren't in your best, the best place to yeah, answer questions. I don't know. I Yeah. Is it worth asking whether or not semi-finals and finals should be played with, goal line technology should be played at bigger stadiums that actually do have these kinds of resources available. Like there have probably been some games throughout the history of the W league that have suffered from moments like this because they've been played at suburban stadiums that don't have the infrastructure. But again, like would that just be a a sort of a snowballing effect with people asking, well, where's the line? Like, well, not, not the VAR line, but where is the, where do you stop? You know, do you, is it just goal line technology? Is it goal line technology and offsides? Is it the ability for the uh, the centre ref to come over and check a screen for things like yellow or red cards or penalty decisions? Like where does that line fall? I'm going to side with Liv Chance here and say I don't want VAR in the W League. <laughs> for one reason, we've talked about broadcast issues like every second week on this podcast and half the time it's because there's not enough camera angles. There wasn't even enough camera angles technically to determine that first goal from Tamika Yallop. Like that's us saying from where we're looking, it looks like it crossed the line, but that's not a goal line. Like we didn't have that. We didn't have behind the goals. We didn't have like, if you're going to do VAR, we see it in the A-League here and you see it even in other leagues, but especially the A-League because there's not necessarily the cameras available. You're getting these decisions made and it slows up the game and so often they're line ball and, I think the key is just investing in your referees and trying to do the best job with them. Goal line technology is the only thing that I think is, is worthwhile in, this is in my, in my opinion. Um, and we know that that is expensive and that's one of the reasons why I think it's not been introduced in the A-League. It's an expensive technology, but I would hate to see the VAR in the W League. I think there's other areas that you could chuck that money into money could go towards resourcing those referees you've already got working with those officials rather than effectively adding another body. Cause it's another person that has to deal with this stuff. It's adding technology. I, uh, yeah, I, I would hate to see it. I think for me personally, I think just like consistency, like what you were saying, Sam, and making sure that, yeah, as a 
a viewer as well that you have access to these sorts of things. I thought it was interesting on the broadcast. Um, so watching the replay of that goal that Yallop's goal that bounced, um, Amy Chapman was like, yeah, we'll have to see another angle of that. And then it just, there wasn't, there wasn't one. It just didn't exist. Um, and so, yeah, definitely maybe, yeah, focus on building up from there. VAR, I'm, I'm not heavily involved in VAR debates. It seems like it's not a fun thing, but I didn't, didn't love it at the World Cup. And if we brought it in for something like semifinals or finals, I think it would be such a jarring difference between if you're applying it for some games and not. But, yeah, I'm probably, yeah, with Anna on that one. No to, no to VAR. The other thing that I wanted to mention as well, speaking of defences, is Melbourne Victory's defence. Um, you know, off the back of these refereeing decisions, and if Tamika Yallop's goal had gone in, if some of the offside goals had gone in, that's Melbourne Victory conceding quite a few goals. And I, you know, I'm curious about your thoughts about it all because up until now, I've been really impressed with Melbourne Victory's defence, especially considering they're quite new. Like this is the first season that two, two of them have played in the W League. It's the first time that Angie Beard and Polly Doran have played with two centre-backs that they don't know in Kayla Morrison and Claudia Bunge. Um, but yeah, they, they, they looked a little bit shaky against Brisbane. Like it, or is that, is that just me? Is that me projecting my anxieties about the upcoming grand final? I'm always hesitant to include goals that get ruled out as offside because they were offside. So any sort of offside trap is doing its job. Um, and maybe the chance one, I think the fact that they didn't sort of hold firm and Tamiki out was able to get that goal that sort of pulled Brisbane into that and full credit to Tamika Yallop who I think was it's like oh my friends have gone where's Em where's Claire I'm gonna put this team on my back and give it everything I got um I think they'd not be too happy with those couple um I don't know yeah it, it is interesting Sam because it was some rare moments of shakiness and maybe it was a I think it was, there was a fair bit of Yallop just driving whenever she got the ball through midfield and victory contained it a fair bit, but it was one of those chaos games. I kind of feel for defences when those chaos games happen because it feels like a lot's out of their control, like the ball spilled out or it's on the burst and it just goes into, I feel like maybe your centre-backs don't feel like they have the control that they would otherwise have. But yeah, I, I don't know. They've been pretty good this season. They've had the odd clanger. But, yeah, it, I think you're right in that they'd want to certainly tighten up before facing Sydney FC, who scored two goals against them, like, literally during the week. Uh, I think they'll benefit a lot from getting a bit of a break, all of these players, like, in comparison. Like, it's a seven-day break compared to, you know, playing every four days or so. But, yeah, I think there's, there was definitely some little nerves there, especially when you look at Sydney FC managing to keep a clean sheet against Canberra. It's... Yeah, it could, easily, it could easily have been more. I'm probably going to give him a little bit of a pass just because it was a pure chaos game, but I'm not Jeff Hopkins because I don't think he'll be giving him a pass. <laughs> and I think that goal for live chance was also Annalie Longo maybe not tracking back quickly enough and your defence is always going to get stitched up if your mids aren't getting back and doing the hard yards. Like, like our mate Angie Beard said the other day, they don't get any credit <laughs> when they do the right things, they reckon. So um, I'm willing to cut them a little bit of slack. 
We'll move our focus down to the other semi-final. It was Sydney FC beating Canberra United 3-0. This game was big before it even started for one reason in particular. Sam, do you want to talk us through the the big pre-game thing that happened before Sydney Canberra? The big pre-game announcement, which, I mean... Credit to Canberra for keeping this under their hat for at least half a week. Michelle Heyman was ruled out of Canberra's semi-final against Sydney FC uh, within an hour of, of, of kickoff. And it was quite, it took me by surprise. It took, I think, everybody by surprise. It turns out that she had picked up uh, a leg injury at some point midweek, maybe at training on Wednesday. And... She'd travelled up to Sydney with, with the squad. She was there. She was in her, uh, her sort of Canberra um, outfit, but she was wearing joggers. So uh, presumably she uh, and the physios and the rest of the team were trying to get her ready to possibly get onto the field, but perhaps in the, the 24 hours leading up to the game, she wasn't past fit. So it's, I'm actually really disappointed that Heyman wasn't able to be there because I think that it would have been the perfect sort of game for her to prove to everybody just how good a player she is coming from that nil all draw with Sydney, which got them into the top four um, in the sort of penultimate round. I don't think Canberra played as well as they could have. And I don't think Heyman played as well as we know she can. And so I think they would have come from that nil all draw knowing what they needed to do knowing Sydney's weaknesses and Heyman probably was a really big part of that and exploiting those weaknesses, particularly coming up against two centre-backs that were actually not meant to be the centre-backs for Sydney at all. Um, So yeah, I was really, I was really sad to hear that. And I think even though Vicky Linton, even though Grace Ma said before the game that, you know, they're a team, Michelle Heyman is part of the team. She is not the team. I mean, it was pretty clear that there was a large Michelle Heyman-sized hole at the front of that team as they tried to go forward, as, as well as Nikki Flannery did, as well as Paige Satchel did for, for moments in the game. You know, you can't replace a player like that. It's a real dire spin on Heyman watch, hey? Like, Heyman watch, Heyman no play. <sighs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, exactly, Angela. And, you know, I... I, I even in saying that, I thought Canberra played quite well. They had so much possession, particularly in the first half. There were real serious opportunities that they had to score goals. I think Nikki Flannery just missed basically a one-on-one at the at the near post um, from a Paige Satchel cross. And like Satchel was really good, really busy exploiting those wide channels earlier on in the game, but then she just sort of faded out of it. So yeah, and then Sydney was Sydney. They took a while to warm up. Again, coming off a, a midweek game, they were probably quite tired. It was also quite warm and quite humid uh, at Jubilee Oval and Cogra during that day. I'm shocked. So, I'm shocked. Yeah, That's right. <laughs> so they, they took their time working into it. But I think after Mackenzie Hawksby scored the first goal, uh, things started to click a little bit more. They came out in the second half and I think absolutely blitzed it. I had a couple of thoughts. The first was Canberra had to score that chance in the opening minute I feel for Nikki Flannery because she's been fantastic this season just had to get a toe on it and it and that was Canberra taking the lead and I think anything could have happened from there like Sydney may well still have won but at least Canberra would have asked the question um the other thing was 
when Ali Green scored that one goal, they just kept backing off. Like, I don't know how someone didn't just press her. Um, Sammy described her as, you know, charging through the middle. At the start, she could effectively just walk through the middle. Like, it never looked like anyone was really putting any pressure on her. And they were still only 2-0 down at that point. Like, the game is still up for grabs at 2-0, you know, most dangerous scoreline in football, yada, yada. Um, but once it's 3-0, it's game over. Like, see ya. Um, and, Sam, I, I can't believe you did a summary of the game and didn't mention Claire Wheeler assists for goal one. Claire Wheeler scored the second goal. What's happened? Where is your brand, Samantha? Where is your Who brand? Who are you and what have you done with Samantha Lewis? <laughs> in my defence, I'm, I'm going to talk exclusively about Claire Wheeler now. So I, this, was <laughs> this was, I think, one of her best games once she really started to find her groove. And, you know, I'm not sure when the, uh, the grand final special preview pod is going to come out, but we spoke to Claire Wheeler um, off the back of her fantastic performance against Canberra. And she Sam was just very seems... well behaved in this chat. Let, let me I add. I was very she well went, behaved. She didn't go full enough till the end. So you have that to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, she's just such an incredible player. And like, I thought I was a huge fan of Claire Wheeler, but Ante Juric, Sydney's head coach, may actually beat me to that because he was absolutely glowing about her performance after the game and also today on uh, SBS, The World Game Live. She just seems to become one of the most complete midfielders at her time with Sydney FC. And part of that is adding goals. It's being pushed further up the field. It's becoming more creative. It's getting on the assist sheet. It's making those Tamika Yallop type of runs from deep in midfield, which tends to fluster defences that are not used to it. And in sort of the days leading up to the semi-final, I think one of the questions that were asked to some of the, uh, I think it was to Grace Ma about which which players are you most uh, concerned about? And she said, Claire Wheeler, because they all know what she can do now. They have seen her do it time and time and time again. And even though they know she does it, they still can't stop her because she is just so good at it. So that cross for Mackenzie Hawksby's uh, opening goal, the volley was absolutely on a dime. It was so, so perfect. Uh, her, her own goal that she scored, again, another volley, the audacity of just another ripping out another volley around the top of the box as well. Like she's like, yeah, I'll just like swing my foot at it and just see what happens. And had, I mean, I, I think it probably would have been on target had the, the not taken a deflection anyway. Like her technique is just sensational. She is such a hard worker. She says in the special episode that she models her game off N'Golo Kante, the French midfielder, now plays for Chelsea, who was so critical in Leicester City winning the Premier League. And like, since she said that, I'm like, absolutely. I see that in you. I see that engine. I see that drive. I see the commitment to defensive work as well as attacking work and creativity. She, yeah, I could talk about her for a thousand years. Um, and yeah, this, I'm just really glad that she is getting the recognition that she deserves because she was a really good player at Newcastle as well. But because Newcastle, Newcastle, perhaps she didn't quite get the sort of plaudits from people like us, other people in the media that she really deserved. But now that she is part of a premiership winning side and potentially a championship winning side, and contributing goals and actually standing up and make, making people take notice. Like, I'm, yeah, I'm really stoked for her. 
Just imagining in the grand final, it'll be like pyrotechnics brought to you by Samantha Lewis. Like you just bursting into flames if she scores. <laughs> I just don't see it going yes. any other way. <laughs> but yeah, and then and me losing all of my accreditation as I scream out onto the field, rip off my my shirt to reveal a Sydney FC jersey beneath. That's going to be me. That'll be the end of me, guys. It's been fun. It's been fun. <laughs> I mean, we all saw it coming eventually, didn't we? <laughs> gone so soon um I was just, just gonna That's say enough. um like so going over who scored the goals in this game I have to like sort of apologize or like not eat my own words I guess I said um in the last pod that Sydney perhaps haven't had the versatility in well in their attack and we were discussing like what would happen if Courtney without Courtney Vine and that sort of thing but all of their goals so Hawksby has been brought into the fold recently to sort of um fill the boots of Courtney Vine and um you know Claire Wheeler she's usually in that midfield and then yeah Ali Green's defender so all of their goals came from places I didn't expect they didn't come from that Ibini Ibeni or Samson, who both had, I think Ibeni especially had a really good game and was creating a lot there. But yeah, um, so my bad. You guys are versatile. It's fine, whatever. Um, I guess the context of my comment was about how Canberra have been able to adjust things a little bit. But in saying that, they haven't been able to adjust where most of their goals are coming from, which was Michelle. So that is a big I guess touching on what we just talked about in terms of having just that one central striker who you target, that can be, um, yeah, a big no-no if you lose that person. And it just sort of, for me, uh, the goals highlighted some of the inexperience in that Canberra team. Like the first one, Mackenzie Hawksby's offside and sort of Ilioski sort of panics and tries to get back to her and then plays her on and then Hawksby can just sort of volley home effectively like it's um I think that's one of maybe a more experienced defense uh the center backs will be like oh no she's got it it's cool she's got the you know she's in the offside trap no dramas um but Canberra maybe panicked a little bit in that one and I mentioned before the the Ali Green like thunder bastard goal like I think a better team doesn't back off and back off and back off like they show the respect to Ali Green to maybe hit it like <laughs> Because if you press her, she's a fullback. She's probably going to go wide or she'll pass the ball off or she'll try and do something else. But it was like she was like, they're not coming. They're not coming. They're not coming. They're not coming. Oh, fine. <laughs> oh, shoot. And, like, it's like they almost dared her into it. And she's like, I'm up for this. Here we go. Um, so that's the thing that does really excite me about the grand final is I think neither of these teams are the sort to cough up super cheap goals. And that's what's really exciting. Like Sydney obviously beat victory, but, you know, it takes a Teresa Polias stunning free kick and obviously their other goal was a penalty if you saw it, if you saw the penalty. Um, (laughs) And victory had to get one late through Kyra Cooney Cross. Neither of these defences are are giving up too much. So I think if there's one thing I really take from both of these games, it's how good is it going to be when these exciting attacks go up against some defences that are really holding their own. Speaking of defenders who we think are really underrated, someone who I don't think we have mentioned at all uh, this season has been Charlotte McLean for Sydney FC. This is her first W League season. 
she is still young. She came from the MPL and she has played every single minute of Sydney FC's season so far. She has been, I think, excellent. You To the point where, like, again, we didn't notice her. She didn't stand out. She didn't stand out as inexperienced. She didn't have any clangers. She has just been really, really consistent. Um, I think she is sort of at the stage where Ali Green was when Ali Green first joined Sydney FC and has the engine, has the ability to get up and down that sideline and perhaps become a little bit more creative in future seasons. But again, Ante Juric, when he was asked about the unsung heroes of Sydney FC, he mentioned Charlotte McLean and he mentioned Mackenzie Hawksby, who he's worked with at Sydney Olympic. And he also mentioned Nat Tobin. And I think we need to mention Nat Tobin a lot more as well because she had so much responsibility trying to come in to take over from Liz Rolston. And then when Ellie Brush went down, Nat Tobin was the most experienced centre back that they had on the field. So she, and she, she just had a blinder against Canberra as well. I love seeing her charging into midfield, doing a polking horn. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm loving everything about this Sydney team. I think they're, they're brilliant. I just spoke to Nat Tobin in the lead up to the grand final, um, Sam for AAP. And she actually pumped up Charlotte McLean and was so wrapped for her given she's not come through like Nat Tobin is a player who, had the classic come through as a 15, 16 year old and, you know, be around a W League squad. But McLean, she was particularly impressed with because she has sort of come in that little bit older and has managed to impress. But yeah, Nat Tobin, she, uh, the other thing I could say, she is settled in at centre back. I don't think it's anywhere she ever really wanted to play, but she's well and truly come to terms with it. And as you said, she was the most senior centre back, which is astonishing to say. Um, given the scenario, given, I guess, what Sydney have had in the past. She was the most experienced centre-back out there on the park the other day, and she's been fantastic. Um, But, yeah, and then it makes it really exciting to see, can they step it up again? Can these players go again? Can they deliver again? Like, against Victory, who will be really stinging after that Premier's plate loss too. Like, they will be fired up. So, it's, um, I think it's just going to be a belter. Yeah, and, and going off what you were saying about Charlotte McLean as well, Sam, like she stepped into the centre-back role. Um, she's more a, a wing back, it seems, naturally, and she stepped in and filled that gap um, for a lot of the season until Tash Pryor was signed, which, by the way, very smart, very clever, <laughs> very good signing. Um, and so, yeah, and, and so it, I think it's a testament she's been able to step up and alongside Nat Tobin both quite, yeah, um, yeah, I guess younger centre-backs, younger in the sense, young in their centre-back career. I don't know if that makes any sense, but yes. Um, and it just reminded me what you said of what Ellie Brush said when she was on the pod about how good defenders, you don't notice what centre-backs do because they don't, they're thinking ahead to the point where they're not getting themselves mm-hmm. into situations where you notice what they do. Defend is nothing defenders love talking about more than that no one talks about defenders, Angela. So I think all our defenders we've had on the pod have offered a similar opinion. Fair enough. And we love yeah. them. We love them for joining us on the pod. I just yeah, um, I, I would like to say thank you to Canberra for keeping the Michelle Heyman thing under wraps. Um, because if I had known earlier, um the exile anxiety would have been extended (laughs) and so much worse. I only had to suffer for like two and a half hours instead of, you know, half a week. So thank you. I'd also like to give a shout out to Canberra's fans 
Canberra United sent a, a bus full of fans up to Jubilee Oval for the game. They were incredibly loud. They were really, really fun. They had heaps of chants going. It was all really coordinated. You couldn't see it, unfortunately, on the broadcast because they were underneath the, the main grandstand, but they were just fabulous. And there was a, a sort of a milling around moment after the game as well, where all the Canberra fans were, uh, sort of hung out outside the stadium waiting for their players to come out. And Vicky Linton came out as well. She was taking photos with a whole bunch of fans who were there. Lots of players came out and said thank you to them all. And it's just such a nice, like, I just love Canberra United as a club. I love it as an idea. I love it as a community. It's something that I think other W League clubs can really aspire to because they just have the kind of, the kind of energy, the kind of vibe, the kind of, um, like, almost like an intimacy and, a, and a, a real understanding amongst everything. It's a sort of a nice symbiotic kind of ecosystem of, of things happening at Canberra United. And yeah, I think it was just, it was just really lovely walking through that group of people who were all so positive uh, and, and so, you know, so joyful about the, the season that they'd had, about the players that they have, even despite the fact that they lost. But yes, so we've comprehensively covered both semi-finals so now I will go around the zoom and you will each offer one comment on what you are expecting from the grand final so you can you can have a tip you can have a player who you're really looking forward to seeing you can do your tweet size summary of what you're expecting from this game but you each have your one comment about what you are expecting from this Sydney FC Melbourne Victory grand final so who would like to go first Lisa Devanish show it's going to be good or it's going to be bad, but it's going to be explosive and we won't be able to take our eyes off whatever happens. I think it's going to go to extra time and I think Claire Wheeler is going to score the winner. Um, I think there'll be a red card. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think, but it's going to be, it's going to be a, an incredible match. I'm so excited. That's that's my that's my tweet. I'm shitting and pissing and farting. Sorry, no, you don't have to put that in there. <laughs> oh, some of that us. Is a, that is a million percent going in, Angela. I don't know how you would expect anything less from us. It would be a crime to leave it out. Marissa, what's your one-liner? I don't have one-liners. I'm the host. What is this? Um, no, I'm just, I'm much like Angela, I'm shitting myself, but I'm really excited and I'm really excited that I'm going to be able to watch it live. Like a lot of us are going up to Sydney and it's going to be absolutely awesome. It's going to be my first grand final experience in the W League. So I'm Angela's as well. So I, not to speak on your behalf, but we're stoked that we get to go watch a dub grand final live considering the last one, no one was allowed in. So yeah, so it's going to be a massive grand final. And as we kind of spoiled, there will be a little grand final special coming out as well with a couple of interviews that we've got. So keep your eyes peeled for that. But there has been other stuff happening in the Australian football world that we need to talk about. Tony Gustafsson has announced his first squad, which is super exciting for the friendlies coming up against Germany and the Netherlands. We've got 23 players to kind of comb over. So We'll each pick, I suppose, one or two players that we're really looking forward to, to seeing, to seeing what they do, to seeing how they're going to translate maybe their club form into the national team. So, Harry, do you want to pick 
pick some players first to chat about? Yeah, I'm super keen to see, well, obviously I'm keen to see if players like Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford can take their incredible club form into national team form because um, I think in the past we've seen the really, really deliver at national team level and for Kerr in particular, it's been when she's been flying at club form and been happy at club level that she's been just fantastic. So I'm really excited to see that front, probably front three of Sam Kerr, Caitlin Ford and Hayley Razzo work together. The one player, I guess, from the fringes that I'm really keen to see is I'd love to see Mary Fowler. Um, we've talked about her before. She's been in and out of squads. I think she's turned down call-ups in the past, but clearly, you know, everyone gets a, a clean slate. Everyone, I guess, gets a fresh opportunity under Tony Gustafsson and she scored some great goals for Montpellier. So I'd Love to see her, I guess, really bed in with this team because that's what you want to see. You want to see these young players be a part of it, kick on, and hopefully, yeah, get a bit of game time. If she scores a goal, fantastic. Um, but yeah, I just want to see her really become a part of this Matildas team and yeah, go forward. Angela, who are you highlighting? Who are you liking the look of? Um, there's a couple of names that I'm just like so excited to see there, but I'm not too sure if they'll get significant minutes one of those is BT Goad I'm just really pumped hopefully fingers crossed to actually just see her play again um because I just have like her the memories that I have of her when she played for Melbourne City before she headed over to college she was like such a talent and it's going to be so incredible to have that visibility of her again um and also really excited to see um, hopefully Amy Harrison. I know she's had some some blocks in terms of like being able to get momentum with Matildas over recent years, but she's been super consistent at PSV and has like obviously stepped it up. So hopefully this can be her opportunity to go from sort of fringe, like she's like very, very good quality fringe, but like make it back in there and, and get a leg in, or a foot in the door and a leg, I guess as well. That's even firmer, but yeah. A foot and then a leg and then the rest of it in that leg. <laughs> Sam, who are you who are you underlining and circling? Who's tickling your fancy? Yeah, very similarly to Angela. I'm really looking forward to seeing players that we perhaps aren't too familiar with and players that are getting their first shot at this particular level. So Dylan Holmes, of course, being called into her first Matildas camp off the back of her move to Sweden. I think it, she would be a fantastic addition to the Matildas. I think she has all the industry, all the smarts and all the creativity that a midfield really needs. Um, but outside of Dylan Holmes and, of course, like a Mary Fowler, I'd love to see her come back. I'd really love to see Beatty Goat as well. I'm also really, really keen to see India Paige Riley. She's been at Fortuna Hjoring in Denmark for quite a while now. And so it's sort of on the periphery of all of our vision and a lot of people's vision because we don't really have access to that league in terms of what we can watch. But she's, she's got Champions League experience now. You know, she's been playing alongside Danish national team players for, for quite some time. And she still isn't country tied. Uh, so this might be the opportunity for the Matildas and for Tony Gustafsson to really bring her in and embed her into that side. Because we can always do with really bright, really talented young players. And one of the things that Tony said when he selected this squad was it wasn't just about preparing for Tokyo it's also about preparing for 2023 and the 2024 Olympics so this squad is meant to be a sort of balanced sort of mishmash of different players who ha he has potential plans for not just in the next six months but also the next couple of years. I guess one of the, the questions that I'm really interested in seeing how Tony answers is the left back question 
because Steph Catley has not been included in this squad. She's been injured for Arsenal for a thousand years. And the only real sort of left back that's been included here is Carly Rosbachen, who has also sort of been a little bit injured. So I'm really interested to see whether he goes with an Amy Harrison, for example, who has experience playing at left back for Sydney and for the Matildas, or if he maybe tries to test things up a little bit. So, yeah, I'm keen to see what he does in that respect. That Beatty Goad is a left-sided player, left winger, named as a defender. So do you go, is that the player that they're looking at? Can she step up to the level? Because we've, we've barely seen her, and as Angela said, in all this time. I'm also keen to see... Where does Alana Kennedy play? The great six or centre-back question um, because she, we know she's been playing in six, but will she go back to centre-back straight away? Tony said he doesn't want to change up too much first up, so that would make me think straight into the heart of defence with you, Alana, but maybe things won't work out that way. Essentially, would he play like a, the, the three centre-back Formation, though, is that something we haven't considered? I think we've seen the Matildas play very similar formation for quite a few years now. So maybe Tony's just going to throw a caution to the wind and, and do something completely different, which that's exciting as well. Oh, my God, so much I hadn't considered. Anyway. And my last question is, will we see Ellie Carpenter? Like, we've seen, like, Nikita Paris isn't playing for England, as an example, because Leon is to quote our rundown, Ronyville at the moment. Was it 15 players the other day had positive tests? Like, that just makes you think, surely it's going to be very, very hard to get Ellie Carpenter in with the squad this window, which sucks because she's been killing it at Leon. But obviously player health and safety comes first. So will we see Ellie Carpenter? And if we don't, left back, right back, who knows <laughs> who's going where? Chaos, guys. The, the thing that I think we need to keep in mind is the context in which the Matildas are entering mm. into these friendlies, right? Like they haven't played together in a competitive match for over a year, whereas Germany and the Netherlands have been playing European Championship qualifiers. They've been playing in friendlies. They've been doing lots of stuff. And they also play together at club level in a couple of different pockets. So I don't think we should hold very high expectations of what the Matildas are going to get in terms of results. I don't expect that we're going to win either of the games. Um, and I don't really think Tony expects that they're going to win the games either. He's probably looking at these as opportunities to gel the players, to give some players a run, to see what they're capable of under pressure. And he's probably going to completely ignore the score. And I think that we should probably follow that same logic. I think they'd just be happy to get these games up because it was only, what, a month ago where James Johnson was sort of saying, we want to get games in April. Will we get them? We've got to wait and see. So I think touch wood, everything stays as is. The fact that we can just get two games off the ground, as you said, Sam, let the team sort of bed in, bring some fresh faces into camp, which has been so exciting to see. Like I've loved seeing the media releases come from the Matildas with like photos and vision. And you've got all these new faces involved as well as sort of like all your old favorites plus some new ones. Um, <laughs> it's a bit of that. It's, it's super exciting. So I think, yeah, it's about getting them to gel um, get used to his philosophy and just have some face-to-face -face contact with each other for the first time in so long, especially those that have, say, been playing in, like, the Netherlands or, um, you know, like some have been in the W League while others have, you know, we know that some, a couple of those girls came over from the W League. Like, they get the chance to really actually see each other properly and come together in camp and kickstart some of those sort of relationships again. And um, 
on the field and yeah it's it's super exciting so that's what I think the main thing we can take out of it is it's an opportunity rather than having expectation I think yeah most people who follow the Matildas will probably be in that same headspace because they understand the situation Um, and people who don't follow the Matildas and have opinions if or when we lose these can you just shut up it's just really exciting that we get to watch the Matildas play so in case you don't know Sunday 12.05 a.m they're taking on Germany and then 2.30 a.m on Wednesday they'll be facing the Netherlands so we might have a little chat about those two games once they're one and done but um we'll switch over to some other international news while we're in the in the vicinity as Harrow mentioned Lyon is Roneville, so their second leg of the Champions League has been postponed until April 18th. The winner of that PSG Lyon tie will play Barcelona. As we know, Chelsea were big winners over Wolfsburg, and they'll be playing Bayern uh, first leg April 24th, second leg May 1st in the semi final. So that's super exciting, something to keep our eyes on. Um, one of the things with the squad announcement was the accidental announcement of where Emma Checker will be playing her football this winter. She has signed for Selfos in Iceland. So awesome to see that she'll be kicking on, hopefully having a really good season. We know that Scandinavian leagues have been really solid for Australian players and for Matilda. So we wish Emma all the best over there. And she's not the only one heading over to that region of the world. We had Charlie Grant has announced that she's off to FC Rosengart in Sweden, which is Super awesome, super exciting. And the uh, the bottom of the media release said that the expectation is that Charlie will be coming back to Adelaide United for the W League season. So I reckon Reds fans can breathe a sigh of relief knowing that she will be coming back, or at least that is the plan. Um, also in Sweden, we had KK announce she will be signing with Hammerby, which is a side she used to play for, actually, and it's a three-year deal. So she'll be there until 2023, which is awesome for her and after, you know, what a, a long injury layoff. It's going to be great to see her kind of get back to full fitness, do all the things that we know she can do, and it's going to be just awesome to see her out on the park. In other kind of Aussies abroad news, we had Joe Montemuro announce that he will be leaving Arsenal at the end of the season, which is a huge announcement. It's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up come season's end. Obviously, Arsenal have a lot of work to do until then, but it's going to be super interesting to see where he lands. And I suppose a little bit closer to home, we're kind of getting more and more excited. It's getting more and more real. The 2023 World Cup, we had the host cities announced, which was super exciting. We've got the opening game in Auckland at Eden Park. We'll have the final at Stadium Australia in Sydney. Adelaide has been included. Perth has been included, which is really great for those states. Unfortunately, the cities to miss out were Newcastle, Launceston and Christchurch. So it's commiserations to those three. But um. Yeah, we know that there were lots of disappointed fans in those three cities, so hopefully they can still get to some matches, but it's just it's going to be so exciting and it really was something in the kind of bigger 2023 journey that made it just that little bit more real. But that's enough out of me. That was a lot of news. That was all your news and views with me, Marissa, but we'll get into some more regular scheduled programming. We'll do some boots. Boots. You'll never guess what we're going to boot again for like the sixth time this season. I'm so dead inside. Um, who would like to boot the Fox broadcast issues once again? Just the main thing, 
Well, that wasn't even a main thing, actually. Um, yeah, part one. Couldn't watch it on Foxtel. You could only watch it on KO. Um, meanwhile, on Foxtel, they had old W League games playing. So that's certainly a thing. Um, not sure about that one. Part two. I kind of hinted at it earlier. Princess Sabini scored a penalty, but if you were watching, you didn't see it. So just key moment of the game, people didn't actually see it happen because of issues on the broadcast. I mean, it's not good enough. We don't need to retread over this. Like, yeah, basically it was a huge game in terms of the Premier's plate was up for grabs. The finals makeup was being decided in the at the same time. It wasn't being properly broadcast. It was only on KO. And then to top it all off, there were issues with the broadcast. It wasn't good enough. Um, didn't really give the game the respect it deserved. And Angie Beard effectively said as much, I think, in her official Zoom call to pump up the finals the next day. Like, it's disappointing. And I think that's probably where we can leave it because we've booted this so many times and we're just retreading over old ground. It's not good enough. Players deserve better. Fans deserve better. Everyone deserves better. Um, and I was glad to see that for the finals, we had a, a much better situation in terms of pre-game, post-game, half-time analysis, you know, pundits, callers, like much better. But that is what we should be getting. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oft-repeated boot. Ah! The most repetitive boot. Thanks. I hate it. Angela, did you want to boot a, um, an English team? Yeah, I'll... Keep it brief. Um, I Birmingham City. So the players um, sent a letter to, um, I believe it was the board outline, basically saying we want better. There's been a few um, issues in management and the across the season. One of the big ones that we touched on um, in the episode Stone Cold Pitches uh, that was discussed in depth there in terms of the board not. Um, coughing up for them to play at a decent venue when all of those games were getting rescheduled. Um, and it sounds like it's a, it's a bit more of a um, systemic thing um, from the top down at Birmingham. Um, so, yeah, just clubs not affording their women's teams the respect that they deserve. A big old boot to that, but, like, um, I guess, a how good in the sense of, like, the solidarity amongst the players and the actions that they're taking. They shouldn't have to. But um, I'm really hoping, fingers crossed, that that basically shit gets done and there's better things to come for the club. Because, yeah, it's just not good enough to just have, like, your women's team as an add-on and then to just neglect them and ignore them. I don't really have to go in depth. And then that rolls into, I guess, a how good as well. So solidarity amongst the the team at Birmingham City extended to other players and, um, you know, people in the women's game who voiced their support and got around that um, and basically said, you're doing a good thing here in standing up for yourselves and everyone's behind you. So that was really fantastic to see. The first tweet that I saw was from Beth England, who's um, always good with this sort of stuff, but there was a lot of, um, yeah, a lot more people that came after that in terms of, yeah, voicing their support. So always good to see solidarity, especially in terms of issues that, no doubt affect all players at some point some get luckier than others in terms of how their careers pan out and the clubs that they end up at but um yeah it's definitely something that everyone in the women's game fight like 
feels passionate about and fights for. So, yeah. Absolutely. We'll continue with the, the how goods now. Sam, do you want to offer up a how good? Everyone knows that I love a good goal celebration. And we saw so many of them over the two semifinal games this past weekend. I And also the, the premiership game between Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory. I loved in that game seeing Teresa Polias celebrate her third goal in 155 games at that point. Just her third goal. It was an absolutely cracking free kick. You've all seen it. And the passion that she showed in her celebration, just like holding her arms out, looking up to the sky, just roaring into a drizzly, uh, manly night. It was just fabulous. And seeing all the players rush over to her, they know how important she is to that team and how important she is to the league. So I love seeing that. I love seeing the same passion from Lisa Devanna when she scored her second goal against Brisbane. Same sort of thing. She gripped her hands tight. She closed her eyes and she screamed. It was so great. And seeing, seeing Angie Beard, like, put her hands on her head as she watched that goal, that second goal sail into the top corner from Lisa Devanna, that was really cool to see. And then Ali Green's goal as well. I mentioned it at the top of the pod. Not just her celebration and the celebration of the people around her, but also shout out to the celebration for Sydney FC's social media because that gif of Ali Green with uh, with the the star sunglasses as she's slowly moving towards the screen, it I it has ended me. I am ruined. I am on the floor. It was hilarious. I love seeing that sort of stuff. Everyone loves seeing that sort of stuff because these players are awesome. They're such characters, and it's really cool that they're finally being given the opportunity to show that here. So goal celebrations, debut goals, third goals, goals that qualify you for finals. How good. And I just want to add that Lisa Devanna reminded me of Pingu yelling when she celebrated. (laughs) In a nice way. She was like, yeah. I I love, like I rewatched her celebration because it's just so Lisa Devanna. It was awesome. Just incredible. Um, I'm going to bounce a little bit off what Sam and I guess Angela just then said about um, clubs letting players really show their personalities. And my how good comes from our friends at Adelaide United who have really killed it when it comes to content um, this season, especially in terms of treating the W League players the same as the A League. And they did this great little video for um, for Easter and it was with, I think it's Josh Cavallo and uh, Maria Jose Rojas, the summer of Cote Rojas. And basically they get them to do this Easter egg hunt and it's very competitive and Cote Rojas wins. And this is a player who's played for her country. This is a player who would have played in so many big games, had so many great moments, yet the satisfaction as she was counting out these eggs, like two by two, doing a little bit of quick maths, and going, I've beaten him, exceptional. Like she's counted him and then just went, oh, no. <laughs> she's just like, yes, I've won, cop that. And uh, <laughs> incredible stuff. Like, so one, Koto Rojas being a winner, how good. But the Adelaide and other clubs, like Sam mentioned with Sydney, um, giving players the opportunity to showcase their personality and Um, what makes them special and having a bit of fun because that's what this is all about at the end of the day how good 
so good. Very funny. We'll give that one a retweet. Very quick, how goods. We know that Jake Goodship didn't have the best afternoon, but we do need to offer him a congratulations. He and his partner welcomed a baby girl recently, so congrats. It's awesome. We love doing baby news here. And we also need to... Um, we need to congratulate Tanya Oxtoby and her partner for the arrival of their baby boy. So, so congratulations to all of those people on their safe arrivals. Just Jake, when I think it was the day that Brisbane announced um, they'd signed Sonny Franco, he posted a little tweet like, you know, like the classic sort of, here's the pen signing, dot, dot, dot. And I was just like, Jake, your daughter's only a few days old. You can't possibly have signed her up yet. <laughs> it's long-term thinking harrow that's how you've got to play the dub play the kids this is a this is a development league now right like we're talking about young players we have to get them in early we have to get them a car yeah you know two two weeks old 20 20 years old whatever it's all the same you you don't think he's been speaking to mini gory like so you're having a baby girl what are her plans for w league like but no it's it's awesome news all around and that was a big episode from us thanks for tuning in remember you can find us on espn.com.au the espn app spotify google apple wherever you get your podcasts really if you enjoy what we're doing please leave a rating and a review it's super helpful to us and it's just nice to say something nice i suppose as we mentioned we will probably have some special episodes dropping we also have a few that we've done recently we had a chat about the Matildas games which you can definitely check out before those games start we also had a big semi-final special pod with a few guests that will be playing in the grand final so check those out in your podcast feeds um if you would like to chat to us we're at the far post pod on social media but until next time we'll see you after the grand final I thought that was Melon screaming. (laughs) (laughs) It's Angela.